Well, Tim had a good introduction for the message this morning. Do you really believe that good will overcome evil? And is it partly, at least, our responsibility to go out and help see that that happens in the lives of individuals? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We see Jesus talking here to, uh, I'm not sure how big of a crowd of people, but he's sharing very important things. And he shares, first of all, the Beatitudes there. He goes down through that, and right after the Beatitudes, right after he talks about things like being persecuted and so forth, he says this in verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." Are you being a light? Are you being salt where God is, wherever God has placed you and wherever God has called you? Are we as a church being a light? Are we being salt here in our area? Or are our lights so dim that they really don't affect the darkness around us? In Philippians it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. And this goes along a little bit with what Tim shared there. In the midst of a perverse nation, or in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul saying to them, if you do this, my work in, in you was worth something. Now, one way that we recharge our lights, and I thought about setting a battery recharger up here for you men that have tools. You know, that's pretty important these days. You used to plug things in. We don't do that anymore. We plug in the charger and charge with the batteries and so forth. And I thought about if we're going to be lights, we need to be charged up ourselves. There's different ways to do that. And one of those ways is coming to church on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, Wednesday, whenever, and uh, special meetings and, and getting some input, getting recharged. Part of that is in your devotional time that you spend with the Lord. Part of it's in the Word of God. Part of it may just be you run into another Christian somewhere and you get to talking and it just kind of charges you up to go out and spread the gospel more. But we do need to be recharged at times. I understand that. But all of us need to show that light to others and when we're out in the community, it doesn't have to always be saying something. You might say, well, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to say. I don't know what. Well, Peter does say that we are all, we need to have an answer for the hope that lies in us. So you need to be able to share something for Jesus verbally if you need to. But in this passage here, it says that we do, that we show our good works. Why? So people praise us? No, it says so that they glorify our Father which is in heaven. They will see by our lives the light 
and assault. They will see that, or they need to. Now, I want to move from that on into the, the message this morning really is more about maybe reaching out and, and going out and sharing the gospel, maybe not just here, maybe locally, but maybe uh, further away. And I don't know, there could be someone here this morning that's thinking about going out on a mission field somewhere, and you might say, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You're going to talk to us about going somewhere on a mission field when 17 of our what we might call our people are being held hostage in Haiti, and we don't know what's going to happen to them. Well, I will say this, the early church was persecuted, but they were out spreading the gospel anyway. The early Anabaptists were persecuted tremendously, and they were extremely mission-minded. That's why the Anabaptist movement spread and moved around Europe like it did. So, we don't just stay home. Now, I realize we, we need to be careful. The Bible also talks about that, where we go and how we do it. Turn with me on into Matthew to chapter 28, probably the most common passage used. We think about encouraging people to go out and spread the gospel. Uh, the last words that Matthew records of Jesus here, Matthew 28, and we'll start reading at verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, right there is where the power is at. If you want to be recharged, find it in Christ. Okay, all power is given to me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world or unto the end of the age. Unto the end of this age, Jesus is with us. So if we go, we know who is with us. It is Jesus Christ himself going with us. And I believe it was when Ralph Hartman was here sharing on mission, he talked about this passage could be the idea of as you go, as you're going into the world, as you're going about life, share the gospel, teach and preach and share what what God has commanded, what Jesus Christ has commanded. And so are we willing to do that? Turn on over to John. We're going to be looking at some different passages this morning, but go to to the book of John. I believe uh, Mark had used a little bit of this this morning in the Sunday school opening. In John chapter 4, John chapter 4. I think I might have said Mark. John chapter 4. This is a story of the woman at the well. And I'm not going to read this whole story. But Jesus meets this woman at the well and he begins to uh, dialogue with her. And it looks like when he gets a little too personal, she shifts it over to a theological discussion. Maybe to get the, kind of get the picture over somewhere else. And so Jesus talks about some of that, but then he still brings it down to her. And she eventually goes into the city and shares what's going on. And the people come out of the city to see Jesus. And you'll see this in verse, in verse 30. It says, And then uh, they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples uh, prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. 
Say uh, not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. And so this had to do with the time of the harvest and so forth. And he says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Let's stop right there. Remember, if you go back to verse 30, it says they're coming out of the city to see him. Here they're coming. There's people coming out of the city. And Jesus tells his disciples, lift up your eyes. And there were the people coming. And he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. There's your fields, he says, for they are white already to harvest. When we look at the world, do we think about the fact that the world is ripe and ready to harvest? Now, there's around 7.9 billion people in the world right now, I believe. That's a lot of people. To put that a little bit into perspective, as far as those that may be saved, and I realize there's a lot of those that are children. There are those who can't understand uh, the gospel um, for whatever reason, uh, maybe mental disabilities and so forth. But if we think about it, there's 7.9 billion people out there. 800 million to 1 billion of those, so that's about an eighth at the most, actually profess to be Protestant Christians. And that, that's a pretty broad brush there that, that would be painted. If you take in Catholics, Orthodox, and everyone that would, that would come under the Christian umbrella, 2.5 billion. Let's just make an assumption that half of the world is not, are not saved. Half of the people in the world are not Christians. Let's just say that for figuring a little bit, for, for us to wrap our mind around it. And you've heard me share things similar to this before. But if you were to go out to witness to each one of those people and hand them a gospel tract, and you would be able to do that one person per second, track, 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 and you're moving on, okay, 24-7, you don't take time to eat, you don't take time to do anything else. To half of the world's population... You couldn't get it done because it would take you 125 years or so to do that. Now let's switch that around just a little bit. If those people are lost, and you would, and time would stop right now. Nobody else would be born, just the people on the earth right now. If we really believe in a heaven and a hell, and you take that same group of people, and if you were to have to sit and watch them, enter hell one at a time, one second per person, you'd have to sit there for 125 years for just the people that are alive right now. Now, we shouldn't look at that and say, well, then it's hopeless, forget it. I guess I'll just, I can't make a dent. Well, I, I didn't figure it out, but I've heard it figured out, and I've heard it explained. And if you would go out, and share the gospel, bring one person to Jesus Christ and spend six months discipling them. And at the end of that six months, you would both go out, do the same thing over, and at the end of that six months, everyone would go out. It actually brings it down to not that long of a time period to when the whole world could be reached. The problem is, too many of us, and I'm preaching to myself this morning as well, do we really take the time to try to bring one soul to Christ and disciple them to a point where they're ready to go out and bring someone else. And I'm not talking about as important as it is. I'm not talking about people within the church that are growing up in the church. That's extremely important. If we don't keep our own and they don't become Christians, we've lost a great deal. 
But it's not just about us either. It's about those out there that are lost. Do we really believe that? And I'm going to also focus on a couple of other uh, verses here, and, and later we'll probably catch a couple of verses similar to this. But I want you to notice, it says then, after he says it's white already a harvest, he said, He that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into the, their labors. <clears throat> I want you to think about that a little bit, because sometimes when we go out to share the gospel, or as a church, maybe we're involved in a mission or a mission work, if we can't see the fruit, and too often we put that fruit into numbers, if we don't see the church role growing, or we don't see some mission effort growing in numbers, we we tend to think it was not worth our time. Why did we bother sowing? But we don't know what we sow and what someone else may reap. And I think about that even like with our Bible school. There are people that come up to people that they recognize from church here, and they're like, oh, yeah, I went to your Bible school when I was a child, and yeah, I still know some of those songs, and still remember some of those stories, and I still, you know, it's still there, it's still there, and, and they remember that, and I know, uh, talking with some of the folks from the Toto area, you know, they may be in a store somewhere, and someone comes up and says, you know, you're probably from the Toto church, right? Well, I remember going there as a child, or I remember the Bible schools, or I remember something, and so we don't know what we share with someone that later someone else comes along, and that the Holy Spirit's working in their lives, and it's just ripe for someone else to harvest. But we, we often think, well, if we don't get to have the harvest, we don't want to bother with the sowing, and that's not right. We work together in that. Probably look at a couple of other verses later in that as well. Turn on over to Acts chapter 13. And this is where I want to share with you a little bit more, maybe, of where what I'm thinking with this message this morning. Go to Acts chapter 13. So, this morning, there are a few empty benches here, spots on benches. I see that, and uh, that's okay. But when we're all here on a Sunday morning, it's full from the front to the back and a few in the, in the foyer back there for everyone's here. And that's great. I'm not asking anybody to leave, okay? Bring more in. If we have to, we'll add on to the church or something. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm encouraged when the church house is full. and People have come to worship and to, to share together and, and to be a part. But my question is this. Is it time as a brotherhood that we think about reaching out and maybe starting another work somewhere or and, I, and I'm not saying that we, it has to be miles and miles away. And I'm not saying it should be two miles down the road. Uh, my question is, is it time to think about another work somewhere? And there, are, and there could be a lot of different directions to take with this. But there are places half an hour from here at the most that have no conservative Anabaptist witness there that we could go and 
try to be light in that community. Now, I'm not saying there aren't Christians there and there's no light. Please understand me. But to be involved and to keep people involved. Now, I realize at church here we have different offices. We have our Sunday school reorganization where we vote people into offices, uh, trustees and uh, different committees, Sunday evening committee, uh, trustees, on and on. We have these different things that we put people in place of. But if you look at the whole long list of members and you look at how many people actually have a given office to to take care of, it's not really that many, percentage-wise. Now, I realize there are Sunday school teachers. There are people that help with Bible school a couple weeks out of the year. There are people that um, do other things that aren't voted in. You know, people do the bulletins. People sometimes come and unlock the church. People do the janitors. There's all kinds of other things going on. But are there people sitting here even this morning that have gifts to be used that could be used more and better if actually involved in something like that? I also know that people are involved in other types of missions. People are involved in helping their neighbors. People, There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Some of you meet with other people, just go out to eat and get together, meet and share and and so forth. And that's great. You all need to be doing that. There's all kinds of things going on. But I wonder sometimes if it's time for us to, and and maybe, and we talked about this as a ministry, but maybe there's very few people here that would ever, that would say that's what God wants us to do. And I'm open to that, but I'm asking that. If that's, but beyond that, as individuals, are there people sitting here this morning that are feeling that, should I go somewhere? Should I be out on a mission field? Why am I? This may be an encouragement to you to get involved in doing something like that. So in Acts chapter 13, I want to start reading there in verse 1 and read on down through there. In verse 1 it says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, he was a foster brother of Herod's, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord, and this is an interesting couple of verses, and I don't have time to go into all of that in detail, but it says, And they ministered to the Lord, and they fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. And so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they uh, sailed to Cyprus. Now Cyprus was the home country of Barnabas. So there's something often about people when they go to share the gospel, they like to go to where they grew up or to their home, to their family or someone that they, they have a burden for. And so that's where they went to start with. Now, I'm going to read on down through a few verses here to show us that we go out and spread the gospel. It's not always easy. Sometimes there are things that get in the way. Sometimes people get in the way. Sometimes it's frustrating. In Psalms it says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so sometimes... We, we see that, the, the frustration, we, we can see that in these next few verses here. Starting in verse 5, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister, or their assistant. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, 
they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus, or son of Joseph, or I'm sorry, son of um, Joshua, which was, of the, uh, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, as I go on down through here, I want to note one thing. First of all, Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost when he said this, and I think you'll also see that he had not been schooled in the school of wokeness either, okay? So keep that in mind. Too often we get kind of caught up in that. Let's see what he has to say. But remember, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he says, it says here um, in verse 8, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility, O mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He told him like it was, okay? Now, I've only ever had a couple of times when I felt like the Spirit was saying to kind of get that way with someone. One time I remember, and I don't exactly remember, maybe somebody else was here with me would remember verbatim, but was in a prison service, and one of the fellows kept trying to, and finally the Lord just laid a verse on my heart and kind of took care of the situation. I didn't put a, this guy ended up kind of blind and wandering around for a while. But if you go on, you'll see that the deputy of the country believed and became a believer. So that's why God did that. But it's not always easy going out and sharing the gospel. We will find opposition wherever we go and however we share the gospel. And if you go back to those verses that I shared there in, um, in John, sometimes we share and, and we don't see the, the results quite like it is here. In Galatians it says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those that are of a household of faith. Let us get out, let us share. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, you'll see the same concept as far as sharing the gospel and not necessarily having to see the results ourselves or taking credit for it. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, it says, Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth any." anything, neither he that watereth, but God, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, or his garden, and ye are God's building. And so we do it according to the, what God has called each one of us to do. We work together for the kingdom. Now, I know sometimes people look at this and they say, well, but we put all this effort into something. Maybe we reach out. It doesn't work out. And we go down the road 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and where, where's things at? How's it looking? Well, and I know the clock says 1130, but let's, uh, let's take a look at the church at Ephesus, okay? We're going to look at Ephesus a little bit. I've preached a message on this, this church uh, and I don't know if I've done it here or not. Uh, 
But let's go back to Acts again. And we're just going to kind of bounce through here and grab a few things. In Acts chapter 16, you'll see that uh, Paul and Silas, now this is the second missionary journey. I should have mentioned that on that first missionary journey when Paul and Barnabas went there to Cyprus and they went on up into more of where Paul's home country would have been. They went up into the region of Galatia, which would have been kind of in the United States, maybe a state uh, Galatia, and they went up there and they shared the gospel, and then they went back through those cities, and um, you know some interesting things happened, like Paul getting stoned, and he thought he was dead, and that kind of thing. But Timothy was probably uh, awakened to the gospel in that trip, and we see how how God used him later. And they went back through, and they ordained elders in those countries, and those churches of Galatia there is where we get the the book of Galatians. You can see that Paul writes to the church the churches there in Galatia later. People there trying to tell him they needed to do all the Jewish law in order to be saved. And he says, no, and you read Galatians, you understand that. But that happened, and then they come back, and then some years later, they head off in their second missionary journey. They go back up through those churches again, and they're heading across, and they want to go into the area of Asia. Now, when we think of Asia today, we think of a much bigger region. It was kind of like another state up there. It'd be like if they were traveling through... Um, I can't use California anymore because I got a son living there. But you know, you're traveling through an area, and they say you want to go into California. That no, the Holy Spirit says no. You got to go maybe to, to Oregon or Washington or something like that. And that's what was, that's what happened. They were on their journey here in uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, and it says, "Now they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia." And uh, so they went to, uh, through Mysia, and they were going to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit said they can't go up to Bithynia either. So they didn't go to Asia, they didn't go to Bithynia. Now, if you look later, you'll see that the gospel was in Bithynia. You'll see that later in the, in the Scriptures. And you'll also see, we're going to see that they go back to Asia, and they go to Ephesus, to the church there. In the meantime, maybe, I don't know why God did that, but maybe he wanted to push them on over into the European continent. A lot of our ancestors come from Europe. Paul and Silas and, and those, uh, Luke, they took the gospel on into uh, Europe. Matter of fact, uh, Paul and Silas had the first hymn sing in the European continent that we know of. You can read about that in Acts. And um, it wasn't under the most pleasant conditions, but they had one anyway. And that's where our, many of our ancestors come from Europe. So maybe that's what God was doing there. I don't know. That was probably about A.D. 51. They were told not to go there. Now, if we go over to chapter 18, on their way back to Jerusalem, and this was uh, uh, probably several years later in verses uh, 18 to 21. And Paul, after they had tarried there yet a good while, then he took leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria, and with them Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had made a vow. And he came to Ephesus, there he is, and, and uh, he left them there, and he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep the feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will, and he sailed from Ephesus. And so he was there for just a little bit of a time. And probably two to four years later on his third missionary journey, if you go over into chapter 19, you'll see that he comes to Ephesus again. Interesting story here. Uh, he comes there, and there's some people there that 
need to receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll see that that happens. And you'll see that Paul, it says in verse 10, uh, there was some, well, actually in verse 9, it says that he uh, and some of his friends were teaching and disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And it says that that went on for the space of about two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so for two years, Paul is teaching in this school of Tyrannus. And likely when he was doing that was uh, at that time it was hot there. They didn't have air conditioning and so forth. And he probably rented an upper room in a school there. And so during the middle of the day, they would, they would take a break from their work. It was hot. And most of them would go home and take a nap, take a siesta, as they say, relax a little bit. And then in the evening, things would kind of start up again. They'd go back to work in the evening. Well, Paul took opportunity of this, and he says, well, I'm not going to take off and go sleep. At the middle of the day, I'm going to use a school, and we're going to teach, and we're going to preach, and we're going to spread the gospel. And people were willing to come there. Amazing that they were willing to come there in a hot part of the day and learn. And all of the people in the region of Asia had heard the word of the gospel through this. And God did some special miracles with Paul, and then there were some sons of Sceva who thought they were going to do some things, and they were false prophets, and um, they ended up trying to cast out a demon, and a demon, a guy with a demon beat up on all seven of them, and they ran out of the house wounded and naked, it says. And then the word spread there, it says, and all the Jews and the Greeks uh, dwelling in Ephesus, fear fell on them, and so forth. If you go on, you'll see that in Ephesus, uh, the, the gospel had spread so much that the idol makers were angry because they couldn't sell idols anymore. So it would be like if, if maybe uh, we'd go somewhere and start a church and the gospel would spread in the region so much so that the liquor stores closed up. The gas station said, I don't know why we're selling cigarettes anymore. Let's just take them off the shelves. And, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, that's, that was one of the things going on in Ephesus. Later you'll see that in uh, chapter 19 it talks about, or in, in chapter 20 I believe it is, he mentions having been there for three years. Let's just jump over to chapter 20. Later, uh, Paul comes back through close to the area, and he meets with the elders from Ephesus. They come down to meet him. And visit with him, and he says in verse 20, he says, I kept nothing, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul says, at the time that I was there, I, I taught you publicly, I went from house to house teaching, I have kept back nothing from you, nothing at all. In verse 27, he says, For I have shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, he's talking to the elders, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And he says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you, Night and day with tears. Verse 35, I have showed you all things. And he, so Paul is reminding them 
that I have shown you all these things. And this church was an amazing church in Ephesus. Paul probably spent more time, other than maybe in one of his home churches, Tarsus, before he was asked to go to Antioch, and possibly at Antioch, Paul probably spent more time here than any other church he was at. Now, I'm telling you that for a reason. If this was in, when he last met with him, with them there, if that was maybe around the late 50s, around 80-something, 50-something, 60, let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. Now, it depends on your view of eschatology when you think Revelation was written. Some of you might say it had to be written before A.D. 70 because this is A.D. 70 taking place, the fall of Jerusalem. I tend to believe that it was written more around A.D. 90, John the Baptist, or John the Revelator being a very old man at this time on the Isle of Patmos being persecuted. And he writes what God shows him to write. And at the beginning of this, there are letters to seven churches. And one of the churches that he writes to is the church at Ephesus. I think I'll just read, starting at verse 1 of chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Okay, they, they, were, they didn't put up with evil. And hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and have found them liars. They were doing their due diligence there. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake, hast labored, and hast not fainted. So the church was still working there. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove the candlestick out of thy place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear to hear, um, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." Now, why did I go through, why did I spend 10 minutes going through the story at Ephesus there? Kind of a condensed version, by the way. They had every opportunity. They had the Apostle Paul there for several years, teaching them, teaching them, teaching them. They had the Apostle Paul meeting with the elders, warning them, warning them, and telling them, and I'm sure we don't have everything recorded, every word that was shared. That church had prospered. That church was making an impact on the community. And 30 or 40 years later, Jesus writes and says, you left your first love. I say that to say this. We can focus on perceived failures. We can look about either not going on a mission field, not reaching out as a church, not reaching out as an individual, and say, well... It hasn't worked, or I did this and this didn't work, or I shared the gospel with this person, it didn't work. Or, we didn't. or maybe you look at someone and you say, well, I thought this person or this church or this thing was really on fire for the Lord, and look what happened now. I'm thankful that Paul spent all that time and effort on Ephesus. For one thing, we have the book of Ephesians. 
And how many people were saved because of it? It said, because of the efforts in Ephesus, the word of God spread throughout that whole region. Everyone heard. There wasn't anyone that didn't know about Christianity in that whole area because of what had happened. So much so that the idol makers were running out of things to do. So I don't think we dare look at what we think may or may not work as maybe a failure or whatever and say, well, we can't do it because of that. There may be other reasons. I do think, as it says there in Acts chapter 13, they were sent by the Holy Spirit. That's important. As you can see in that passage, that it says that uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And then John went along, John Mark. Now, if you, I've preached on John Mark later in his life. It was amazing. He did some great things. He wrote a book of the Bible. But he went back home to Mama not long after they left. And part of the problem was, as some people have said, that Paul and Barnabas were sent and John Mark just went. And so it needs to be that the, the church and the Holy Spirit, I think, are the senders, outers, or they certainly the Holy Spirit must be in working with it. Well, it's time to close. I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Romans yet. Am I being a light? Am I sharing the gospel? Is it worth it? Do I really believe it? In Romans chapter 1, Paul says some things. I have these circled in my Bible. He says in verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Do you consider yourself this morning a debtor to the lost? Do you owe them something or do they owe you something? Paul saw himself as owing them something. He was in debt to them. And because of that, he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready. He says, I am debtor. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Why? Because he considered himself in debt to them. Verse 16, I'm afraid, is often too much where we kind of fall into this thing. I, I can fall into it. I think we all can. But he says he's not. And sometimes I think we must admit we are. And that's sad. He says, for I am not ashamed. So I am a debtor. I am ready. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone to believeth, that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do we believe this morning? Tim shared about the darkness around us. And the Bible says we're salt and light. Do we believe that? Do we believe that really the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of salvation for everyone that believeth? Anyone that believeth. If you go on into chapter 10 of Romans, it says, For whosoever, whosoever 
shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And I would say without someone telling them about the gospel. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. If you want beautiful feet, go preach the gospel. Go share the gospel with others. Go let others hear about Jesus Christ. I came across a song recently. Relax, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not sure what that would do. You wouldn't remember anything I had said previous in the message, I'm sure. And the babies would probably cry. So I'll just read it. Um, says he was just a country preacher pronouncing benediction. His message had been simple, a child could understand. He looked out from the pulpit, he closed his tattered Bible, said, bow your heads, close your eyes, and take your neighbor's hand. And now go spread the gospel. Use as few words as possible. They'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. Let your life be a beacon. Shine your light for Jesus. Go spread the gospel as we leave this place. He said, when you get down to it, it's not that complicated. We're all his disciples, like Peter, James, and Paul. No, we're not great physicians, and we can't feed the masses. But we can tell the world about the man who did it all. Now go spread the gospel. Use as few words as possible. They'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. We can all be a witness to his grace and forgiveness. Go spread the gospel as we leave this place. Go tell the greatest story of the cross and all the glory of a risen Savior and an empty grave. Let's all go spread the gospel as we leave this place. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us salvation through your son Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can share that with others. Help us, Lord, to know how to do that, when to do it, where to do it, and if we as a brotherhood should reach out and maybe some other area where we can get involved and just give us wisdom in all these areas. And Lord, if there's someone here that's uh, thinking about going in uh, the mission field somewhere away from home, I pray, Lord, that you would just give them the courage to do that or to talk to us as a brotherhood about it. But Lord, I pray that you would give us just uh, the Holy Spirit in a special way to spread the gospel to people around us, whether we're here, whether we're away, wherever we are. Help us to be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.